like almost all the buildings that people say they love about Franklin could not be built today. That's crazy. That, that, that um, we've essentially essentially banned you know all the things that that we like mm-hmm. about um, our town, and so a huge piece of this process is sort of isn't about creating this new world. It's a lot of it's going to be going back. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet at WFPR.FM and in the local Franklin Mass area dial at 102.9 here in studio with a session with our town councilor, Kobe Frangello. Kobe, good morning. Happy Monday. Good morning. Life's, life's good. Life is good, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a good, good, way to start the, good way to start the week. Yeah, we'll start the week, I think, we're trying to do a couple of things, but you traveled to do a conference, and it's related to what's going on, I think, so you'll help me understand what is going on. <laughs> yeah. Does it really make sense? So you went to Portland, I'm, and to do a conference with kind of the streets and uh, affordable housing and other topics within that, and that sounds good. So we'll give <laughs> us some highlights. We we, we hit up hit upon a whole bunch. Yeah. So this is an opportunity that came to me. Uh, this is a few weeks ago now. Um, there's a, a group in town that uh, had helped me with a previous session uh, in, in the wake of. Um, George Floyd murder and uh, the Neil for Nine event on the town common. Uh, we started holding conversations, community conversations around a bunch of different topics mm-hmm. um, and how race you know, impacted uh, different pieces of, of Franklin. And one of those is race and housing. And I had uh, reached out who are the housing ex- experts in uh, greater Boston or Massachusetts area connected with this group. They came back to me fairly recently and said, hey, we have an opportunity for a scholarship uh, to send you to this conference um, on fair and sustainable cities in Portland. So I applied and then got the scholarship, and so it was great. And so I got to uh, head out to Portland, meet a bunch of, it was a lot of um, community advocates, it was a lot of public leaders, um, a lot of developers, uh, and um, a lot of like town city planners. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, the topic was fair and sustainable cities. It was called Yimby Town. Yimby as in yes in my backyard. As, as opposed, opposed to NIMBY, which is not in my backyard. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So this is a, a group that um, is, is particularly interested in some of the positives of um, allowing more types of housing um, and more housing diversity right. in different communities. Um, and uh, so I, this is not... a. Uh, an endorsement of, of all uh, pieces of, of the movement, but it was a great opportunity for, you know, they gathered some fantastic uh, nation-leading experts on, um, yeah, fair and sustainable uh, community development. Mm-hmm. It's very, very, very uh, applicable to what we were doing uh, in Franklin with, with Franklin for All. Um, I think that actually there, there was my, my bigger, um, and we, we can walk through some of my, my sessions, one of my biggest um, frustrations with the uh, conference was that it was very um, urban centric and okay. I think that they were missing um, a large piece kind of, of that of suburban the, area suburban. more directly to what we would have applicable to us yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know I, I got to use all my question time and um, and, and we can get to it a, a little bit they actually the last day was all um, 
topics that were missed in the previous two days. Okay. And you got to propose those, and so yes. um, we got one just on the on the suburbs and got to um, talk specifically about how, how some of this comes down and, and impacts a community like Vermont. Mm-hmm. So that was that was really exciting. Yeah. Because um, yeah, all those topics clearly, whether it's affordable housing, which you know, for f- most folks in Franklin, it, we got here X number of years ago. The housing market, particularly in the last couple of years, has just gone bonkers. It was just making it that much more challenging for people to buy within. Uh, I think I saw a stat that during 2021, the sale price of the Frank, a Franklin house broke 15 times during the year and it started at 1.5 yeah it's like come on folks i mean how how are we going to get affordable housing when and i understand there are some high-end houses here and that's fine but you know we need to be able to make you know to your point an affordable community and how do we do that so yeah and and you know there's some there's some data that's been coming out uh, on on how this you know impacts the community you know by not having more units at different price points you know what does that do to the demographics of, of the community and uh, i shared some uh data from um mass housing partnership mm-hmm. uh, they, they just released some, yeah. some housing data they just updated their data through the census data for 2021 i believe yeah through 2020 yeah and uh franklin just from 1990 to now, you know, in 1990, it was a fairly uh, normal curve, skewed, uh, skewed right a little. So, um, you know, a, a, a hump around uh, your 25 to 35 to 40 range. That was your 1990 crowd, and, and you know, not too much up and down. Now it's two big peaks, and you know, uh, it's people in the 10 to 20 range, right. people in the 40 to 50 range, and we just have no one in the uh, 20 to 30 range, or 20 to 35, 20 mm-hmm. to, to 40 range. We, we've just hollowed that population out, and that's our that's our kids that aren't able to move back to town. Uh, that's our uh, public employees, our teachers, our firefighters, our uh, officers who aren't mm-hmm. able to, to live in town. It's young professionals, it's people who uh, keep our, our restaurants and um, you know, shops going uh, is people who, who who use our commuter rail. That's the that's the piece that we're hollowing out um, when we you know only offer uh, housing at, at these high high price points. Um, there was a whole bunch of, of of different pieces, so it ended up not just being um, housing affordability. Uh, There's there a lot about about parking and, and freeways. I, I can actually go through. I'm you know looking at at. Um, some of the highlights that I had shared, uh, which sure. yeah, you had you had you had caught on Twitter. So as I was going through this event, um, capturing the, notes like I do, yeah, so I was fine. It was like, oh, look what he's doing, cool. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> I was I put on my, my Steve Sherlock hat and uh, just started you know making sure that I was taking everything down. And, and I shared the very very top levels. I, I oh. every single session. I mean, it was it was there were long days. I, 8 a.m. to mm-hmm. 10 p.m. I was in front of you know other people learning and talking about something sure. housing yeah. uh, related or, or sustainability related, um, but just every session was had a ton to take home. Uh, so there were like four sessions going on at once, and you got to choose um, which topics you were Pick going to. So, right. Um, yeah. I, I can sort of walk through just so I yeah. And I as you do miss. that yeah. for the re- listeners, uh, in the show notes, we'll include links to those uh, PDF docs of his highlights of the days. 
Um, so you'll be able to follow along if you choose, but obviously you won't have it in front of you. You can just imagine being at a conference, multiple sessions, and Kobe's going to walk us through it. <laughs> yeah, so the first one, uh, well, yeah, first one was on uh, inclusionary zoning. So this is a topic that um, has, has come up. So inclusionary zoning is the idea. This is, again, a response to uh, the notion of exclusionary zoning, where mm -hmm. zoning was particularly used uh, as a tool to keep people of different incomes out of a community yes. so inclusionary zoning is saying uh it, it can it can show up in different ways but usually it takes the form of saying x percent of your homes have to be affordable at some price point and you get to set those price points and you get to set the percentage of homes this is something that we've considered here in franklin but we don't currently have to date the state makes us uh, they say you have to have at least 10% of your units in town be uh, affordable, which is uh, affordable is considered uh, able to be paid by someone making 80% of the area median income. Uh, so the, the, this this conference was all about, okay, or, or th this particular session was learning from developers, how, how do we make this work? Hmm. Um, because if you set uh, a percentage of units that have to be affordable, if you set that too high, then they just don't build a new yeah. uh, a new building. You get no m new units, and you know uh, housing prices only shoot up. Their incentive, their ability to make some money on that development, dissipates because of the affordability range going up. Right. So that's a super key piece of this, and so a lot of it is about yeah striking that that right balance. I, 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 the quote in the show notes was, if it can't be financed, it won't be built. Um, and you know, they need to be able to go to the bank and get the financing that they need. And that includes um, being able to say, hey, here's, here's why we can make the profit mm -hmm. despite offering these affordable. But if you can, if you can strike the right balance, they talked a lot about some of the positives, and these were some. They had some city planners who had come in and uh, you know successfully implemented an inclusionary zoning um, bylaw, and I, I think it's certainly something that that Franklin could consider. Both uh, you know eighty percent, but even a hundred percent area median income are not units that we're currently offering here in, here yeah. in Franklin. Yeah. A lot of people call this workforce housing. Right. But these are people that are making what we're making and to, to live in Franklin, uh, but they just don't have the units uh, available to them. Um, so it might be a little easier for developers to finance, but it, it gives us some control that says, you know, as you're putting these, um, you know, apartment complexes together, um, make sure you have, you know, some at different price points. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that might be a tool uh, moving forward. And I think, you know, in, in the housing production plan that the town passed uh, two years ago, year and a half ago, mm -hmm. um, one of the recommendations was to consider uh, inclusionary zoning. Again. Right. Yes. And yeah. I think that we'll look at that. Uh, transportation. This is another one that is um, very relevant to Franklin from a few different lenses. Um, as we talk about affordability in in Franklin, a, a lot of the focus is on the affordability of rent, but. Uh, there are some very large expenses that uh, you can knock down outside mm -hmm. of rent, and one of the, the the largest is transportation. I I don't have the the full number uh, in front of me, but uh, car ownership over the life cycle of a car is you know some crazy high uh, amount of money, and if we are mandating that every person in in Franklin owns really more than one car at this point mm -hmm. uh 
that's that's money that that goes to their inability to afford to to live in Franklin, um, as well as as gas. You know how many how many uh, trips can we replace? Um, that you know, so maybe they still have the car, mm-hmm. but they're, we're replacing their you know most trips. You know, the, I want to say sixty seventy percent of trips are um, five miles or less, right? They're, right? they're your groceries, they're your stores, they're your yeah. uh, school stuff in downtown. Stuff. How many yeah. of those of those trips can we replace um, with? public transit with bikes walkability mm-hmm. um, designing our, our spaces uh, it, it's particularly uh, um, of interest looking at Gatra so if you don't know uh, we have public busing in uh, in Franklin right this is through Gatra Greater Attleboro Tra- regional, regional transit thing. authority yeah, yeah. and it, it used to have a fixed bus route it used to, and then the pandemic kind of wrinkled their operations. So now they're more on demand, uh, which has posed, as I think you're aware as well, from a senior perspective, they were the primary users, and yeah. obviously now trying to use an app a la Uber doesn't work for them as well. But the number to call to arrange for a ride still does work, but there are some complications around that point-to-point um, it's still affordable, at least from what I understand. A ride to the yeah. senior center is free. A ride within Franklin is a buck, um, so that's okay. But yeah. there are complications with the scheduling, and you know, it's it's a start. But <laughs> yeah. there's more that can be done. And and so the 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 quote that I took away from this was, uh, if it's useful, people will use it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times you hear in Franklin like, oh, well, no one uses the bus, and th- th- that's because we built a system that. Is not very reliable. And first of all, uh, you know, I would some say, people don't even know we have a bus. Yes, yeah, so many, many, <laughs> many don't. Right. And um, but but some people certainly are using the bus. So it's, currently, it's it's um, dial a ride. It's very similar to Uber, um, except you know because it's COVID, uh, it's only they still haven't updated their their app to take more than one person at a time right. so it's really you know it's driving all the way across franklin and back and mm-hmm. anywhere across the area and back and you know when you put in a ride you have to do it multiple days in advance you have to give them a multiple hours time slot of when they could be there if you take too long in a store they might not be there um when you get back and you don't not you don't have a way to get back so it's a very inefficient mm-hmm. and and you know really ineffective uh ineffective system um if we create a more useful product, uh, can we start replacing some of those um, vehicle miles uh, traveled? Uh, I think so. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly think so. Right. And, and especially, you know, the, in the shorter term, you you improve the reliability, right? If you know that you can go to a place and the bus will be there at this time, uh, and it's going to take you to where you need to be in a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. and you can rely on that, maybe even have a shelter if, if the uh, weather is bad, you will be using that way, way, way more. And I think if we can um, get back to a, a fixed route that's in that takes you to, to uh, positive places, then we as a community can then plan around that fixed route, right? Mm. If you come to Franklin and want to be able to live without a car, then here's where you move to. Sure. And we can make that very clear, right. and, it, and it creates a, a much more uh, efficient system. So I, I think that there's... Um, we, we've told ourselves that we're a car-dependent town, and we've lost out on some opportunities to uh, replace some of our, our regular trips um, with with transportation. So I, I was excited to hear about some of the prospects there. Um, the, the other quote from that, don't focus on changing culture, focus on changing situations. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, how, how can we how can we redesign uh, the setup? Make it easier, yeah. make it more reliable, and thereby people will use it, and thereby we'll be changing the culture with the use right. in that sense. Right, yes. and, I, and I really do uh, believe that, that to be the case. So. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight, but it can happen. Yeah, so that took me into what, you know, it, it might... In my day job, I work in clean energy, and um, I have my background's in climate policy. And so one of my bigger takeaways, I came in you know, looking to learn a lot about housing and bring stuff back to Franklin, but I, I will say I also took a lot away um, related to my you know, climate work and climate mm -hmm. advocacy. I mean, so much of this um, impacts energy use. You know, right. when we are, are yeah. super spread out, yeah. when we, when you have to drive yep. everywhere, I mean, the energy use in concrete, the energy use in every, uh, not only uh, driving the vehicles, but producing the vehicles. Uh, the They had uh, Rocky Mountain Institute, which is, you know, nation leading uh, research experts starting to, to look at this. And they looked at the cost effectiveness of all these different tools that mm -hmm. cities had. And the number one tool that they, that uh, towns and cities have uh, is rezoning. Yeah. Um, because by rezoning to uh, create a more walkable, um, transit-oriented lifestyle, mm -hmm. right. um, per capita, you can reduce emissions faster than anything, um, any other tool in your in your toolkit. And so, uh, it, it's not the the main reason uh, uh, Franklin is considering Franklin all, for all at, at all. I don't think it was on um, many people's minds going into the process. Um, but it's a real nice piece of it is that um, by designing a, a more, you know, walkable, vibrant, uh, financially sustainable downtown, we also create a more um, climate friendly environment. Yeah, because I think some of the other factors, Chloe, the state is also looking to incent affordable housing, denser housing associated with the commuter rail, of which we have two stations. So there's an incentive from the state perspective um, that may pose other problems as well. but. More time to come on that one as that fully works through its process. But we already, as we talked, we we have an affordable housing issue, and we also have a budget issue. So we need to build, if we're going to make any changes, let's build the infrastructure that costs us less to maintain yeah. so that we can provide the services to the residents, whether schools, senior center, whatever, within a budget that doesn't have to grow astronomically in yeah. order to maintain the infrastructure to support cars. <laughs> yeah, so. and I, I think that's going to be a huge piece. And um, we, we're looking this week, um, this is in advance of uh, our Wednesday uh, town council meeting, um, we're accepting roads. And so I decided to, to quickly do the math. And we can get to that um, maybe, maybe later in the conversation. But mm -hmm. yeah, as we continue to grow out in in ways that require new infrastructure, uh, we're hampering the town's finances. Yeah. Um, and you know, if, if we want to move to a more um, financially sustainable development pattern, then we need to build mm -hmm. on existing infrastructure. Right. Um, right. And, that, and that's going to be a major piece. Yeah. It, the other cool piece about the the climate one is that it's actually uh, there was someone from um, the, one of the speakers was from Massachusetts, and he was talking about uh, rail electrification. Yes. And uh, they actually recently created, Transit Matters recently created this um, regional rail tool that uh, allows you to, um, if we electrify the mm -hmm. commuter rail um, and move to double tracks, which is which is currently happening, uh, how does that change your experience yeah. uh, in, in town? So I, my commute is Franklin's South Station at 8, 
it would be 40% faster, 85% less weight, 30 times more reliable, you know, not breaking down, twice as frequent stops, and one and a half more stops within that. And this is because uh, electric rail accelerates and decelerates way, way quicker than your, your current, current diesel. Uh, diesel. And so you can get way more stops in there, cut the time nearly in half. Mm -hmm. uh, that completely transforms what Franklin's downtown can be, um, what it would mean to go into uh, Boston if it's no longer this you know hour twenty long process to get into the city, um, which you know you would only do at the start of the day and at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It becomes truly like you jump on, you can go into Boston and come out. But you can do that multiple times a day. Yeah. Uh, that really transforms what what Franklin could look could look like. So it was it was cool seeing, um, you know, hearing from a, a more uh, Massachusetts based. Um, speaker, yeah, cause, you know. Cause I think in other conversations, a number of us selected Franklin because of the commutability into Boston and because of its central location in Metro West. And clearly, that's how I came here as well. Um, and yeah, to try and change that for the better, taking care of the climate piece, which is not directly, but it's certainly an, 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 a factor in there. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, the reason to electrify the rail is, is for you know, reliability's sake, it's yeah. for uh, sustainability, it just makes more sense. Mm -hmm. But you cut your emissions down to zero, right? Um, and and that, that ends up being, you know, I think that that's what I learned a lot, was like a lot of this just moving in the same direction of the, of the direction that we yeah. want to be moving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll put a slight plug in because I've been having conversations with Ted McIntyre and as he helps me make sense of climate. And it's interesting that no matter what topic we discuss, there's always a climate realm, to, a wrap to it or a connection. It's like, well, where do you draw the line? Because it can come back to climate at some point. Obviously, that's yeah. not what we're talking about yeah. today, but we're talking about affordable housing and zoning, but there are still climate impacts to it as well. So Definitely. Yeah. yeah. The, the other quote that I pulled from that session was, uh, transit adjacent is not the same as transit oriented, which I like. We use transit oriented development a lot. Um, and we tell ourselves that that means houses next to commuter rail. Right. Um, that's transit adjacent. If you're not building the infrastructure that someone could actually live without relying on a car mm -hmm. by giving them the, the public transit access to their basic needs, by, by rezoning and allowing basic needs to be sure. within walking and biking distance, by providing the, uh, the safe walking and, and uh, biking infrastructure. If you if you don't build all that around it, that's just transit adjacent. You know, right. um, you're not actually changing the way someone approaches life and, and moves around. Yeah, uh, in the world, and I think so. the visible difference, and we may get into a little bit more uh, on a separate piece of this, but the zoning is key in here because if you think of the downtown Franklin and I know where I live up by Parmenter School, there had been a little neighborhood store that is now housing but it had been a neighborhood store so i didn't w i wouldn't have had to go all the way into downtown even though i'm only a mile away it was like a yeah. quarter mile would have been the neighborhood store but the way we've allowed the zoning with the developments there's no neighborhood store within the development so you're forced to drive yeah. whether it's the stop and shop or the shaw's a big y etc if we had that you know smaller so even along what a uh 
the, the Daisy's type Daisy market, market. Yeah. or yeah. you know oh, these places. This, it, it, it would make it. It would cut some trips. It wouldn't solve everything, but it would cut some trips. Th th this makes me so happy that you think of that because I think that a lot of people miss that piece. Right, part of the zoning uh, wasn't just um, you know lot sizes and only allowing these super large buildings uh, or super large houses on these large lot sizes. It, it also was separating uses, you know, putting residential away uh -huh. from right. anything commercial. And what that did was killed your, your community uh -huh. uh, corner store. Actually, they opened up that climate piece with uh, the number, that's how they, they did it, the number of grocery stores in Portland um, 50 years ago versus, uh, versus today. today. And yeah. it was like, I think, 20 times more uh -huh. uh 50 years ago i just way way more that was a huge piece of it uh -huh. is that you know you had for those smaller needs for those more yep. basic needs you had something within yeah. walking distance and we've taken that away and made uh every uh trip be to the to the edge of town um i i think that's also going to be it's not it's probably not going to be a piece of the franklin for all conversation um, but it will will likely be a piece of sort of some follow-up conversations well and we know government moves slow but we need to have the conversation to create the idea to create the possibility and then yeah. get into well how do we make it work yeah. and another plug for another uh local historian but joe landry you look at his his decades of the story in franklin Downtown had the A and P and the finest markets. Yeah, yeah. They're not there anymore. They moved out. Yeah. Um, so that's part of it. And if we could get back to that to a certain extent, yeah, that will help. So it would, yeah. it, would it would help a lot. Yeah. And I'm I'm, I'm really happy that you're you're thinking of that piece. Um, the next uh, topic was was hearing straight from developers on not necessarily inclusionary zoning. So you know, inclusionary zoning from the sense of like right, this is top-down, you know, government-mandated, uh, you have to have X percent be affordable, but rather just like we're interested, uh, it was developers essentially coming to, um, you know, the planners and advocates and saying, hey, we're interested in building housing at different levels, but these are our uh, constraints. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the big quote there was, form follows finance. And again, you know, I, I said this at the top, but uh, if you can't finance it, you can't build it. And so right. yeah. um, a lot of uh, what we have as um, in, in Franklin uh, for ways to bring down or make it easier to finance is those soft costs. Right. If we don't make the permitting process as exhaustive, if we don't have mm -hmm. the fees be as exhaustive, then we can re dramatically reduce some of those softer costs mm -hmm. in project building. This is when, you know, a lot of what Franklin for All is talking about is the idea of buy right. right. Um, can yeah. you have the as housing that you want? As opposed to a special permit. As opposed to a special permit. A lot of things, uh, a lot of types of housing can be allowed in Franklin, but you have to go and ask uh, mm -hmm. zoning board of appeals or, or um, the planning board for all these special allowances. They then can you know hold different other pieces against you. Uh, there's a whole bunch of, of question marks in that process. There's a whole bunch of meetings in that process. Mm -hmm. And so by right is saying, hey, if there are certain things that we agree with uh, as a town that we want, let's allow them to happen. Right. Because uh, what by not doing that, by, by uh, forcing this, this long drawn out permit process, that's real, real costs. Mm -hmm. You're paying a developer every time to come back, that you're paying a lawyer every time to come back right. and 
many projects we render uh, impossible uh, to build simply because the, the upfront soft costs that we uh, put in there are, are so high. Um, and so de hearing from developers, you know, how key that is. If there are mm -hmm. certain things that you want us to build, sure. um, don't don't make it so costly to, yeah. Uh, yeah. to build. And kudos to the town, too. There, Obviously, we may be doing some things better than some of our communities, which is why Mass overall has a housing problem. Sure. Um, yeah. And if we can still improve ours, then that may help others as well. So, yeah. yeah. I think so. And then uh, one other thing that they pulled out was households are getting smaller. Yes. They're, they're smaller than ever, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're fewer, uh, we're not getting birth, married as much. We're, birth rate we're changes, having way fewer children. And yet housing size has not changed at all, you know, yeah. in terms of the, the housing that we're building. So this is a huge piece of this. We were just looking at, um, uh, a friend in town was pushing me to look at, okay, what's, what's the difference between Franklin and Mansfield uh, mm -hmm. in terms of why Mansfield has retained a much higher uh, percentage of their 20 to 30-year-olds. Yep, yep. um, and, and there's certainly a lot about the development pattern of Mansfield that um, I, I would not want to, um, and, I'm, and I'm very happy with that we've avoided some of the, the pitfalls. <laughs> but why? what are they doing that's offering, uh, that, that's allowing 20, 30-year-olds? Um, it's not that they have this massively different culture, this mm -hmm. massively different downtown, or different access to Boston or, or amenities. It, it's smaller units. The mix it's of the housing stock. Just mix of, of housing stock. Yeah. It's nothing that's going to change, um, you know, Franklin as you know it. But when we build an apartment complex, just have smaller units. Mm -hmm. When, um, you know, can we allow uh, a house to add a little unit to the back, it's to rent out their basement? The accessory uh, dwelling unit. You know, yeah, accessory pieces. This is how I'm able to, to live mm -hmm. in Franklin, right? Sure. My family built an in-law apartment to the back of, of their house that allows me to have a little bit of independence, but still age, you know, uh, in the community that, mm -hmm. um, that that I was raised in right. and, and, and that I love. Um, but it's, it's a much smaller unit. So I, I think that was a major piece that they talked about is allow us to build um, you know, more smaller units, mm -hmm. um, and that will open up, you know, smaller families, um, s single living, uh, and, and certainly younger. Yeah, uh, one of the things that struck me even coming into Franklin and having grown up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, not far away, but I grew up in a city where a lot of three tenement houses, and there are no three tenement houses in no. Franklin. <laughs> and the other piece, clearly at this point, my kids are grown, we're still in the big colonial, I don't have a place that I could really go to that's, you know, smaller, but still downtown or within Franklin that's affordable for seniors. So I'm blocking some of that housing demand because I'm not leaving the right. house to let somebody else move in to continue the, right. the life cycle because we don't have that, you know, elderly housing, senior housing, just you know, even smaller on the upper side scale, yeah. as opposed to just, you know, for the new, newer ones yeah. kind of starting out. I mean, it's the housing mix that really, I think, is the issue there. Yeah, and I think that makes it a lot less scary. We could, we could talk about the, the ride around town that I did, but a lot of these types of housing are already exists and you don't mm -hmm. even you don't think twice about them right, right? they're already uh, yeah. around franklin and they're not these massive scary you know luxury condos that i think 
you know, um, make people afraid of losing Franklin as they know it. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them look like the exact same houses that, that you're in. Um, they just are broken up into some smaller units. And the difference is, I think the key point, and might as well getting into that, yeah. those situations are not zoned permitted today. You, could, you couldn't build them today. Yeah. They clearly were built yeah. at some point in time because they're here, yeah. <laughs> but you couldn't redo that today. Yeah, a lot of, uh, yeah, that's, that's been so crazy looking through this this franklin for all rezoning process a lot of people says well that's not how franklin is and so just going through the history of franklin looking at the existing building stock almost every like almost all the buildings that people say they love about franklin could not be built today that's crazy that, that, that <laughs> um we've essentially essentially banned you know all the things that that we like mm -hmm. about um, our town and so a, a huge think, piece of this process is sort of isn't about creating this new world it's a lot of it's going to be going back uh, and allowing Franklin to develop in the way that um, it did that you know into the way that we all we all know and love uh, and you know not you know take away some of the restrictions that we put in mm -hmm. you know in the 80s and 90s to you know sort of keep people out and move toward the edges of town take some of those away and um, you end up building this this nice walkable town that, that um, we have the bones of uh, today. Yeah. yeah, that has lots of the arts and culture that we all enjoy, yeah. the restaurants that we all right. enjoy. Obviously, there could be more of those, but we need to zone it accordingly and make the opportunity happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's a that's a big piece. Uh, quickly look at it. So that was that was all day one. Which was crazy, <laughs> you know, and all the, all those are rattling through my brain. Um, some of the pieces on 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 day two. Uh, we looked at highway expansion, um, which was much more applicable in a lot of um, urban communities in terms of highways expanding through neighborhoods. Yeah, you know, that's not something that um, we had to deal with uh, too too much. But it still um, affected Franklin, right? The building of 495 is when you saw our economic development go away from the center of town toward the edges of town. Mm -hmm. That led to this. Um, car dependent right. culture, right? That yep. create like culture follows form, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we created a a, uh, a pattern that you know made everyone uh, spread out and be further and have to get mm -hmm. places um, by car. The biggest thing that they talked about in in the highway expansion uh, conversation was this idea of induced demand, where mm -hmm. a lot of the times, you know, the 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 biggest one is. Um, when you when you add a highway lane, you know it's like oh we have too many people going on this highway. Let's just add another lane. Right. And what studies and studies show, and and you know if you take just an extra second to think about it, is if you add another lane, that just means more people are going to drive, and it's going to get right back to the same uh, traffic point. Right. Um, we have uh, as humans have a certain amount that we're able to tolerate to get in mm -hmm. before we start making different decisions. And if we just make it easier uh, to do one thing, then we're just going to fill that right back up until right. it gets to the to the same point. And uh, yeah, it, right now I we're looking at the 495-90 interchange. They're proposing to spend 300 million dollars right to redo that to entire redo the interchange. interchange yep. Yep. To you know. And the, and the idea of Make reducing traffic, uh, the the safer piece, I I, I think, um, I have my doubts there, but you know at, at least there's something there. But th this idea of, of reducing uh, traffic, a, a I think the studies are are past that. But 
also if we're, if we're putting 300 million to get a few more cars in which is one person in these mm -hmm. in this massive thing right for 300 million dollars you can electrify and make double tracks for both the franklin line and the worcester line and have money left over mm -hmm. that it's taking twice as many people uh off the road um on each of those uh lines for less money um as opposed to encouraging um you know, more people to, to take the car and drive solo. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and so I, I have my my doubts uh, as, it, as it comes back to, to Franklin on that, right? Are, are we in, are we spending money in a way that encourages um, the sort of behavior that, that we want? Mm -hmm. In a much more equitable right, way, right? Uh, electrifying the commuter rail, um, that's something that can, is at a price, offered at a price point that uh, a lot of people uh, can't afford um, if we're mandating, you know, if we're putting car ownership ahead of it, um, you know, that, that involves the ability to mm -hmm. buy sure. and, and, yeah. and and get a car, um, which is, is you know more available to um, higher income families. Uh, yeah, we we talk a lot about well, MBTA is being subsidized. We have, we subsidize uh, MBTA, and we don't talk at all about you <laughs> know cars about and cars and, and how much we spend on <laughs> on our highways. And that that was a crazy piece of it. <laughs> Was just you know, well, we're yeah, still that, paying that for the big dig too, right? Well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, we we hold MBTA to the standard of like you have to be able to self finance, but we don't hold the uh, highways to that standard uh, at all. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, there's much more effective ways to be spending our, our money. Right. Uh, I went to a, a, a course, that, actually my most interesting course, but probably less of. Um, interesting to to some of the people in Franklin is about communication and and how do we tell stories yeah how do we how do we talk about um different pieces of, mm -hmm. of this this puzzle um a lot of it is about you know storytelling and I, and I think that um you know we learn through the 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 power of of stories and so sharing my story how um how I'm able to afford to live in Franklin and mm -hmm. one of the sure the, the few um is is helpful uh, visuals help pictures yes. and this is so yeah. if, if you've noticed an uptick in my uh media presence my, yeah my media presence since then I, I think that's been a, a key piece of this is mm -hmm. going around trying to gather visuals that um help make this uh, right tell yeah. this narrative yeah yeah there's a line too every picture is the story and what a picture is worth a thousand words i mean they all right. come to that storytelling point and we'll put a slight plug in because uh the arts and culture symposium is coming up may 14th uh, coincidentally, I'll be doing a session on how to share your arts identity and yeah, some of the best cool. practices. So akin to what you're trying to do uh, and, and still have the conversation. So it, it works for everybody. So slight plug there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. that uh, yeah, I mean, so some of the speakers in that were, were just impressive, you know, journalist side and artists that mm -hmm. was just just talked about like how do you how do you draw these places uh, right. in a way that people understand what they are yeah uh, and his ability to sort of slice through a building and show you you know all right well if you look top down then here's the information that it's accenting and if you look you know from a side angle here's the information that was mm -hmm. super super interesting less less helpful to, to the residents of Franklin, right but, uh, right quite fascinating um, information um, Learned a lot from from leaders. Um, I, I think the biggest one learning. I mean, these were uh, a former um, Senate president in um, Oregon. There was a, a city councilor in St. Paul. So it was a, just a 
impressive group of people. And one of the biggest ones was question the design of the world around you, right? Don't take the status quo for granted. I think that happens a lot in Franklin. It's like, well, Franklin is this way, and so it but must how did be this get, way. How you did they get and, this and, way? And, and we don't, yeah. yeah, we don't think about how we <laughs> intentionally designed it mm -hmm. uh, to look the way. Or unintentionally designed. Or unintentionally designed, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. But we created a world <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, that, that looked the way that it does, and there's a possibility of creating, right. uh, you know, designing a place differently. Uh, yeah, uh, again, a lot of this sort of touches back on the same things, but mm -hmm. culture, yeah. culture. Another reason design. to go back to somebody like Joe Landry, who's looked at the history, so he has the artifacts, whether video, pictures, the historical museum has pictures too, that shows Franklin over the time, we had a lot of farms, the farms became developments, the developments became all residential, so we didn't get the commercial pieces in there. Yeah. But if you look at, we even had streetcars yeah. and trolley cars, yeah. right? And that kind of system, I mean, maybe we could bring something like that back today. Obviously, maybe an electric vehicle. Yeah, world, yeah, yeah. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, the traditional development pattern, you know, outside of these sort of top-down financial approaches where you come in and, and, and build things, the the, the traditional development pattern is you, you start in a central place, you build some wealth, um, and then you only build once you have enough wealth to, to build out. And if you're a farmer, um, you, you know, you live in a way that doesn't demand as many resources, and then you need these village centers and these city centers for you to come in and, and get your pieces. And so this is what Franklin looked like, right? We built middle out, but then we also had these, uh, these villages mm -hmm. on the edges of town, you know, your Wadsworth village, your um, Unionville, where there's a little mix, a sure. little uh, mix of, of uh, commercial in there, um, and then we had public transit to to get you around. Right, this was Franklin of of past times, and um, we designed away from that, and mm -hmm. maybe we could um, just as easily uh, design back. Yeah. Um, talked a lot about par parking. Parking is going to be a fascinating uh, piece of the Franklin for all conversation has, has continued to be. An interesting piece. Um, I, I have my thoughts on on parking minimums, but it was really cool hearing from other suburban communities. This is one of the had a higher suburban presence um, where they had reduced their parking minimums. So, mm -hmm. uh, if you don't know, um, we currently say when you build uh, any new property, you have to have. X amount of parking spaces. Uh, those numbers are often very high. And uh, what happens when you put too much parking in? Because w when someone d uh, creates a, a, a building, again, if they can't finance it, it can't be built. And the, and the, the banks care about whether they have enough parking to uh, to sustain the, the building, sustain and, the building and business. Right. So they're the gonna business. put in the amount of parking that they need to sell <clears throat> what they need to sell. Mm -hmm. By us coming in uh, and, and setting this high parking minimum, all, all it does is give at least the possibility that we overshoot. And mm -hmm. if we overshoot the amount of parking that's needed, that is a very real cost that, you know, it costs, um, I wanna say $10,000 uh, per parking space to, to build. Mm -hmm. um, that money is then just going to be passed on to the renters, and it's either going to, you know, in the if it's residential, it's going to come out in the form of their rent, um, and if it's uh, commercial, it's going to come out in the form of businesses charging you more money uh, for, mm -hmm. you know, all your 
services and and, mm. and goods that you're getting from them. Yeah. Um, it means that we're building in a way that uh, encourages more car use. It's um, impermeable, so you know as storms increase, mm -hmm. uh, it, it adds to our, our storm water. Uh, it's it just takes up space, right? There's a large right. opportunity cost, right? Uh, you could fit, I think, two um, studio apartments in the size that you need for a single um, parking space. You know, including all the the borders around. Uh, there, there's some massive opportunity cost when we when we overshoot uh, parking. So they they really made the cl the case uh, clearer than than ever, and I, I really hope that we take a serious look about. Um, you know, not mandating that every new residential unit uh, mm -hmm. comes with two parking spaces. Um, you know, can we move to a world? Yeah. So it's not the, saying there's no parking. Not it's at all. saying let's look at what parking there should be and don't make more than we really need right. to. <laughs> right. That, that's that's really what it is, and we can start to design our our, our space a little different. Anyway, just quickly looking through the 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 last few. Yeah. So we we talked a lot about parking. Uh, we. I, went to a whole session on accessory dwelling units and, and um, duplexes and triplexes, and, and we might be able to transition right there um, in, into some of the, the things I was looking around. Um, I, I looked at housing, I looked at uh, the suburbs, um, and, and just met a lot of really, really cool people. And mm -hmm. It was just a fantastic experience. So now that's taking me back to, to Franklin, and um, you did a bike ride last week. But and so last <laughs> last week I decided, you know what, I'm going to jump on my on my bike and um, look at some of the housing stock that we have because I kept hearing, you know, more housing is going to disrupt uh, neighborhood character. More housing is going to disrupt uh, neighborhood character. And so I was, you know, I knew that there were a lot of these housing units already around. Right. And so I'm like, you know, what, let's jump on my bike. Just see how many there uh, there are, and I think you would be amazed. Again, I shared this on on Twitter, and I, and I hope you're able to to share this uh, in yeah. the show notes. Like I mentioned earlier, we'll be able to share the um, PDF that incorporates both the tweets and the photos, so somebody should be able to follow along. So check yeah. the show notes, and that doc will be there. Yeah. So th these are uh, duplexes, triplexes, mm -hmm. sometimes you know very large units, uh, six unit houses eight unit houses that look like any other house on the block right um and there's a yeah accessory dwelling unit so that's accessory dwelling units is the ability to add a second unit on the same property that you can um maybe it's for your your grandparents to mm -hmm. uh move into and, and stay around maybe it's for kids to move into and stay around um, maybe it's just for to supplement your income um, and you can offer it to you know uh, someone who's going to jump on the commuter rail every day mm -hmm. um, and you get a little more money that allows you to to stick around uh franklin um a lot of these again built naturally over time and we've effectively um banned them and i, I think that if you look through the photos at least what i got from it is this is not that scary no, uh, and I think the photo helps because when people hear, you know, more housing, they have this image of, you know, kind of the box apartment, you yeah. know, the big ugly building. Yeah. When, okay, that may be an image, but that's not the one we're talking about, and that's why you wanted to create. Yeah. These are the other pictures that we still need to make available. Right. And possible because currently, by the zoning we have, 
they're not. They're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly it. Um, it it's, so, you know, duplexes, triplexes, multifamily, um, historic conversions, right? Uh-huh. Just using existing buildings. You know, we have Davis there. We have the charter school building, both uh, empty. Uh, we've done this before. We've, we've converted right. um, uh, buildings into... Winter Street is a housing authority building. Yeah. And that's an old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there, there are some opportunities there. And then mixed-use properties. I mean, the... It doesn't have to be scary. They don't. They also don't have to be old buildings. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, some, and some of the, the duplexes you'll, you'll see that I had shared are, are a little more modern. But you know, something like the Dean property, um, where Birch Birchwood um, Bakery is, yes. you know, former cake bar, correct, uh, fits the character of, uh, yeah. of the community. That 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 parcels owned by Dean was built fairly recently has a little more mm-hmm. um, modern style in it than some of the older ones but nothing uh, scary it's still quite appealing right. uh, to the eye yep. it has you know units in this case for uh, college students smaller units for college students and uh, some very lively businesses below it um, yeah there are, there are a whole bunch mm-hmm. of ways that uh, we can offer just you know I call it gentle density just the next level of um, housing that is not, you know, what taking what you know and radically transforming it. It's just allowing it to breathe just a little bit um, in a way that doesn't change anything about the way that you know, but improves our finances because it's building on places, on infrastructure that already exists, mm-hmm. improves our housing affordability because it's smaller units, smaller lot sizes within walking distance of your basic needs, including transit. Uh, it improves our climate because it's, it's a much more walkable um, and, and uh, bike-friendly community. Uh, you know, th- there's all these benefits that, that come from just allowing um, our development pattern downtown to breathe a little. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's going to be a, a key piece of um, this Franklin for All conversation moving forward. Um, and uh, I anxiously await the um, housing recommendations from uh, MAPC. Yeah, and just on that point, we'll put the plug in. May 16th, the Monday night at the Black Box is the reveal, if you will. Um, I haven't heard that they're going to release them before that. They may, but the recommendations will be revealed. There'll be a discussion. And that's the start yeah. of the process. We're still early, yeah. Very early in the process that since the MAPC is coming up, these are the recommendations, which still means Economic Development Council, subcommittee rather, still works through it. If you determine something with the town that needs to be a zoning bylaw change, that still goes through your committee, then to the town council, which refers it to the planning board. Planning board will do their thing, send it back to the town council. So, yeah. If you haven't heard it before, it is a long process. It can happen in my life. I've seen it as short as three months from a proposal to an approval. But in some cases where it's more complex around parking and zoning, those are going to take some time. So it's not like the world's ending tomorrow. (laughs) There's a lot of time to get involved, be aware, have the conversation, find out what's going on, and let's see what the changes are, hopefully for the better. Yeah. And and actually, I think it might even be longer than that. I don't think MAPC is dropping these recommendations off and leaving right away. I think think they're they're they're, still around anyway. I'm just in terms of the first round, and then we'll start. Right. yeah, making recommendations out of Economic Development Council. So, whole, whole bunch more. I'm excited to see what what they say. I think it'll be a lot of this. I don't think it'll be 
you need to be making these these massive uh no. you know luxury <clears throat> condos mm-hmm. downtown i think a lot of it'll be hey there are some things that used to be able to be built in franklin that fits the current neighborhood character that you're that you're banning and mm-hmm. you can allow those to happen um, in line with new state law around you know um minimum uh housing units by right uh within mbta um you can do them in a way that um you know meets the needs of of a lot of the uh concerned residents um while still uh providing a a more diverse mix of um housing units and, Mm -hmm. and price points so i'm very excited about about what franklin can be moving forward and uh this is going to be a, a very important conversation in terms of, of what Franklin looks like for the next five, ten years. Yeah. Well, being mindful of your time, because I know you got a busy yes. day, <laughs> being mindful of the listeners, because they're going to have other things to do as well. But thank you for sharing from the conference and your ride around. And we've got more to talk about, so I'm sure we'll do this again. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm rapid fire getting through all these different topics, and then there's there's way more. Uh, this is such a, a, a massive conversation, and it impacts how we how we... Uh, experience Franklin. Yeah, um, I love it. I could talk about it forever. Oh yeah. Um, I realize not everyone can, and so <laughs> part of this is just, how do we how do we distill down? And what information do you need uh, to know? What questions do you have? And, right. And so certainly people can those. reach out to you. They can reach out to me. We can keep the conversation going. Clearly, yeah. we touched on a whole bunch, almost like a scattergun approach of topics. But yeah, it's going to be a nuanced discussion. So we'll take some time. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Well, thank you again for, do, for doing you. this today. And for the, for the listeners, you've heard me say, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.